this evening to the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Founder Acharya, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who <clears throat> translated and commented upon Bhagavad Gita and um, made all of us fortunate by doing so. Around 1971 or so, I was a teenager then, about 14 years old, um, there appeared an article in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the local newspaper. And there was a picture of the devotees having Rathiatra in San Francisco. I saw that article. There was a photograph, too. And it mentioned in the article that the devotees had uh, orange Converse high-top tennis shoes to match their orange dhotis. <clears throat> I thought that was wonderful because I myself also wore Converse high-top tennis shoes, although they were not orange. But somehow a favorable impression was created in my mind about the Krishna consciousness movement. Srila Prabhupada used to say that there is no such thing as bad press. And then he would, his spiritual master, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, when seeing someone's writing something about Krishna consciousness, would count how many times they chant Hare Krishna in the writing. And therefore he would consider it to be successful. Similarly, Hare Krishna, the holy names of the Lord, appearing in print, Srila Prabhupada was very pleased by that. Someone said, Prabhupada, they wrote this article, it wasn't very nice. Prabhupada said, how many times did I chant Hare Krishna? They counted, oh, 15, 20 times. Prabhupada, oh, very nice. <clears throat> because the holy name of Krishna is all auspicious and all beneficial, even when chanted in print by jaded journalists. <clears throat> so, a year or two later, I was sitting on the couch at my girlfriend's house, and her mother came home from the shopping center with a Back to Godhead magazine. The devotees had been distributing books uh, at the shopping center, and she came home with that BTG, Back to Godhead magazine. And then they said to me, here, this is something you would like. You can read this. So there was an article in that Back to Godhead entitled, Attaining Shelter. It had a very beautiful picture of Srila Prabhupada with a, a chatter on around his head. And in that article, it described how the devotees chant the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, 16 rounds on their beads every day, which is 1,728 mantras. Um, so I thought that was nice. I said, wow, this is serious to actually do that, to chant the holy name so many times. One has to have some degree of focus and determination. So that impressed me. Um, a couple of years later, my best friend, who I used to hang out with every day, I couldn't find him one day. 
And then the next day, he showed up. I said, well, where were you? He said, we went and spent the night at the Hare Krishna temple in Dallas, and we saw Srila Prabhupada. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me? I would have gone to that for sure. So somehow or other, I missed that chance to get the association of Srila Prabhupada. That would have been 1974 or something. Um, so these little instances of contact with Krishna consciousness took place. A couple of years after that, I went and visited the temple. Um, but just prior to visiting the temple, there had been some prashadam, food offered to Krishna, which is what we specialize here at our temple in having very nice things that we offer to Krishna and present to the public. It was an apple fritter, apples dipped in a batter and fried, kind of like a pakora, only not salty but sweet. And my friend, the same one who saw Srila Prabhupada, gave that to me. And I tasted the pakora, or the apple fritter, as it were, and said, oh, this is very good. It had been fried in ghee, something I had never had ghee before. I said, oh, this is very nice. I said, if this is what the Hare Krishna devotees eat, they must be very good, because this is very good. Not long after that, I went and visited the temple. Um, went to the Sunday feast, just like you're all coming here to the Sunday feast. Sad, things were a little different then. Sat down on the floor in the prasadam room, talked to the devotees, heard the kirtan, saw the deities, and was very uh, moved and impressed. A week later, I became a vegetarian after understanding a little bit about the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. And as it just so happened, my older brother, who was uh, four years older than me, had bought a Bhagavad Gita from a devotee on the streets of Rochester, New York. Gave him $10, which was a good amount of money in those days, for the Bhagavad Gita. Put it in a box with his other books and never looked at it again but carried it around from place to place. And he ended up back in Fort Worth. We were living in the same house. And when he heard that I'd been to the temple, he goes, you know, I have their book. I have the Bhagavad Gita. And he rummaged through his box and he pulled it out. Never been opened. Perfect condition. He said, here you go. And he gave me the Bhagavad Gita. So um, little did I know where this journey was leading me. Um, and I began to associate with the devotees and hear the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita. And immediately I was attracted to this philosophy that Krishna presents in the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is spoken by Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So it is free from the defects of human beings because God means the perfect person who is beyond all defects. So when he speaks on the subject matter of spiritual philosophy and uh, existential topics, then there is no bluffing. There is no speculation. 
There's no cheating. Uh, it is the word of God. So the very first thing that Krishna teaches us in the Bhagavad Gita is that we are not this temporary body, but we are the eternal soul. I thought that was nice. I liked that. <laughs> you know, here I was, probably weighed about 120 pounds and kind of geeky and gawky kid. So I was glad to know that I wasn't the body. <clears throat> that was good news. And I, I could understand that the nature of the soul, the soul, the individual soul of whom we are each one is very wonderful because we're part and parcel of Krishna. We're expansions of Krishna. And Krishna God, he is the coolest of the cool. And because we are his parts and parcels, we're his expansions, then we are also cool. Not because of our birth or our personal beauty or our wealth or taking birth in a nice family or being very educated or very intelligent. No, our real coolness lies in our connection and our source in Krishna. So I really liked that a lot because I wanted to be cool. <laughs> but not cool in the sense of ordinary society's definition of cool, the clothes you wear, the music you listen to, the car you drive, the people you hang out with, like that. But I wanted that innate coolness that comes from being a part and parcel of Krishna. That was very attractive to me also. So the following year, I took initiation. You kind of stole some of my thunder. <laughs> and uh, today is the Utpana Ekadasi day and is also the anniversary of the disappearance of Srila Gorkishore Das Babaji Maharaj. Um, our Srila Prabhupada, his spiritual master, is named Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, he took initiation from Gorkishore Das Babaji. And on this day in 1915, uh, Babaji Maharaj, who was a great Vaishnava and completely renounced from any sense gratification, uh, left this world. So in 1978, on that same day, I was fortunate to uh, receive spiritual initiation, take the vows that the devotees take upon initiation. There are four prohibitions, no meat eating, no intoxication, no illicit sex, and no gambling. Now most people think that those four things are what makes life worth living. In other words, to be cool, you got to do those things, to enjoy your life. But in Krishna consciousness, we understand that our human life is very valuable and meant for something far beyond mere sensual, bestial pleasure. Um, and formally, 
even in Western societies, in European and even in this country, societies, um, groups of men smoking and drinking, um, this was considered not very cultured by many people, many pious people. It was considered to be somewhat barbaric, unwholesome, sinful, as it were. So we take these vows to refrain from these four sinful activities. And then we also take a positive vow to chant the Hare Krishna mantra, 16 rounds a day, 1,728 times a day, times the 16 names of God that are in each mantra. And if you add that up, over the course of 40 years, it's like 240,000 names of God. So this is what we do in Krishna consciousness. We chant Hare Krishna seriously and with a purpose. Following Krishna's instructions in the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavad Gita is a very concise uh, treatise. It's some 700 and something verses. So it's not a very long scripture. Um, the Bhagavad Gita is one chapter within the Mahabharata. Uh, the Gita is 700 verses, Mahabharata has 100,000 verses. Uh, but it's considered the essence of the Mahabharata and is also considered to be the uh, essence of all Vedic wisdom, compressed into a very short handbook. Although our Bhagavad Gita, as it is by Śrīla Prabhupāda, with the commentary, runs quite some number of pages. What is it? A thousand pages? Nine hundred pages? Yeah. You're the editor, you know? <laughs> it's the indexer. Yeah, the indexer, yes. So I should know the last page, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah what pages the index start off? <laughs> so, Bhagavad Gita is the science of God that's given to us by the Lord himself. Who better to know the science of God than the Lord himself? But also his devotees know this science because they hear it from the Lord. So there are many wonderful uh, statements that Krishna makes in Bhagavad Gita that we can take advantage of once we understand what Krishna is saying to perfect our lives. One of those statements Krishna says, Satatam Kirtayantomam, that my devotees, they are always engaged, Satatam means always, Kirtayantomam, in chanting or speaking or singing about me. That's what devotees do. And that the devotees become very enlivened by this Krishna Kata, hearing from Krishna, hearing about Krishna. They become enlightened and enlivened and enthusiastic in their spiritual lives. This is a phenomena that you just have to experience it for yourself. There are scholars who study Bhagavad Gita. There are scholars who study our movement. 
But it is compared to uh, licking the bottle of honey on the outside of the bottle. If one does that, one cannot taste the honey. One actually has to open the jar of honey and dive within in order to taste the sweetness of the honey. So Krishna consciousness is like that honey, that most desirable thing for which even a big bear will climb a tree and risk getting stung in order to get that honey. So if we want to taste the nectar of Krishna consciousness, which is fully available for anyone, regardless of their material circumstance. There is no human being in any society, in any part of the world, who is disqualified from taking to Krishna consciousness because we are all spirit soul. We're not this body and we're not a product of our material circumstances, our birth, our geography, our wealth, our education. None of those things are impediments for one to make advancement in Krishna consciousness, for one to uh, taste the nectar, taste the honey of Krishna consciousness. So that is proof that we are all equal on the spiritual platform. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who is the father of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, we were speaking of earlier, he said that all men and women are brothers and sisters on the spiritual platform. And Krishna speaks in Bhagavad Gita, Vijja Vinaya Sampane, Brahmane Gavi Hastini, Shuni Chaiva Sopakita, Pandita Samadarshina. A learned person, a Pandita, Samadarshina, sees everyone equally. And not just the human beings, but he sees the dog the cow, and even the dog-eater, but to speak of the cow-killer, as all spirit souls, he sees the spirit within and does not uh, focus simply on the external body. In material consciousness and in modern society, we, see, we tend to see each other in terms of our material body. I am man, I am from this country, I am of this race, and then he is a man from a different country and a different race. Therefore, he is bad, and I am good. So that is material consciousness. But on the spiritual platform, Pandita Samadarshina, we see everyone as spirit soul, part and parcel of Krishna. Therefore, in the Vedic literatures, uh, Elevated human beings, educated human beings, cultured human beings are prohibited from killing animals and eating their flesh. And one girl I knew in the neighborhood, right before I became a devotee, I had heard that she became a vegetarian. And I was asking my friend, well, What's up with that? What, why did she become a vegetarian? Because she doesn't want to kill the animals. She has compassion for the animals 
seeing them as living things, living beings. And therefore, she has decided not to eat meat anymore and take part in this ghastly animal killing business. I was very impressed. Uh, she was just another kid in the neighborhood. But somehow or other, uh, independent of the culture and the family upbringing, she chose to uh, no longer take part in the killing of animals and eating of flesh. So that affected me in a subtle way. And therefore, very soon after I met the devotees, I realized, yes, she was right, even though she wasn't Krishna conscious. She understood something that I had not seen. And I never saw her again. I don't know what ever happened to her. Anne Klein, the Klein family, Catholic family with nine kids. <laughs> they were our good friends. When my parents would go out of town, they send me over to the Klein's house to stay, and they always had plenty of beds and extra space and a big house with tons of kids. <clears throat> but when one reads Bhagavad Gita, one can understand all these subtle things very easily and very clearly. And for devotees who take to the path of Krishna consciousness, stepping away from the cultural norms of intoxication, meat-eating, uh, illicit sex and gambling, they're quite easily given up uh, as insignificant things. Uh, there was one um, lord from England when the disciples of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati visited England in the 1930s. He said to them, can you make me a Brahmana? And his name was the uh, Marquis of Zetland. And they said, oh, Lord Zetland, yes, we can make you a Brahmana. Simply you have to follow these four principles. And they explained the four principles. And Lord Zetland said, impossible. <laughs> As only a true British Lord could say. But actually, what he deemed impossible, Srila Prabhupada performed the great miracle of not only making possible, but uh, creating these, this impetus in human society to consider these things all over the world. How revolutionary is that? What to speak of uh, dedicating one's life to hearing and chanting about Krishna and embarking on this path to go back home, back to Godhead. What a wonderful, fabulous phenomena. And we have temples all over the world. It was mentioned the other day, we have some 600 and something temples now all over the world. The chanting and preaching is going on in every continent. A couple of devotees I know went to Antarctica and preached to the scientists. <laughs> who were happy to receive them. They don't get a lot of visitors down there. All right, Krishna, cool. What, what are you guys all about? we got time. <laughs> Come on inside, stay warm, let's talk about it. And they distributed Prabhupada's books. So everywhere in the world, what to speak of in the civilized Western world, in the countries of Europe, and in all the big cities and states in the United States. One devotee I know he uh, traveled around in his van and he performed Harinam Sankirtan 
chanting of Hare Krishna in public with the Murdanga in all 50 state capitals. Did he come here? It's a black devotee. This is back in the 90s. He, I know, but he was going everywhere. So all 50 state capitals, he performed Hari Nam on the steps of the state capitol buildings. Uh, that was his vow and his determination. So he got to go to Hawaii. He got to go to Alaska too. But we don't have to go to every state capital in order to become Krishna conscious. We can just stay right here in good old Tucson, Arizona, um, or anywhere else, and learn this great art of loving God, learning to love Krishna, as Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita. He says, those who are devoted to serving me with love, I, dwelling in their hearts, give them the intelligence by which they can come closer to me and make progress in Krishna consciousness. Indeed, I destroy the darkness of ignorance that is there within our hearts. Well, within the heart is where the soul lives in this body. But the soul is covered by the darkness of ignorance and can't see what is what, what is real and what is illusion. But Krishna, he lights up the interior of the heart with a torch, the torchlight of knowledge, and illuminates the heart for the devotee. And then the devotee can make further progress. God helps those who help themselves, is the old English maxim. So that means that if you take one step toward Krishna, then Krishna will take ten steps toward you. And Krishna also bestows many blessings upon his devotees out of his kindness and compassion and affection. So we have two hands, and God is unlimited. He can give us unlimited blessings, unlimited gifts, so much that we cannot even hold it all. We can't grasp it all with our two hands. So those are the things that await those who take even one little step toward Krishna. And he will take so many steps toward you. And ultimately, all of us are motivated by one thing. The desire to be happy. Everyone is motivated by the desire to be happy. But it is a question of understanding what is the right process by which one can become happy. Most people think happiness lies in satisfaction of the senses and pursuits of such things, either on a gross or a subtle level. That is called Anandamaya Vyasa. That it is our nature. We are driven, we are pleasure-seeking beings. Because we have as our source God, and he is also a pleasure-seeking being. He reveals in his pastimes of love with his devotees. And we can also become included in those pastimes of love if we take the trouble to carefully study Krishna's words in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that those who study this conversation between Krishna and Arjuna, they actually worship Krishna with their intelligence. 
That is a form of worshiping God, just to study the concepts, the philosophy uh, that Krishna is presenting. So uh, what a beautiful form of worship that is. And then very soon, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to engage in another beautiful form of worship, worship, the joyful worship of chanting congregationally Krishna's holy names. And the more people chant, the more ecstatic it becomes. Srila Prabhupada came to New York in 1965. He was chanting by himself. Uh, and now people are chanting all over the world in pursuance of Srila Prabhupada's uh, instructions and his urging, which is not anything different than what Krishna himself has taught. Therefore, it is Bhagavad Gita as it is. No speculation, no interpretation, no Sanskrit grammar jugglery, just purely Krishna's teaching given by one who has thoroughly absorbed that teaching and perfected it in his own life. And then on the order of his spiritual master, he distributed it to the whole world. That's a wonderful thing. Prabhupada came by himself with $7 worth of rupees, which he could not spend or exchange at the currency exchange place. They were not accepted. And 200 sets of his books, Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto parts one, two, and three. And he transformed the world. And he has given each one of you that opportunity to transform your life. And whatever little bit of Krishna consciousness you can take, you may take a little, you may take a lot, it is good for you. And Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that one who does good, my friend, is never overcome by evil. And even just the slightest, tiniest little advancement on the path of Krishna consciousness that protects one from the greatest fear, which is to take one's birth in a future life in a non-human body, an animal body, or lower. That is the greatest tragedy for the soul, to lose the opportunity. Because only in this human form of life do we have the opportunity to become Krishna conscious. Although our temple dog, Abu, he likes to take prasadam, so he's not worried either. He knows he'll be a devotee in his next life. All right, Hare Krishna, thank you very much. Just briefly, any questions or comments? Uh, in every step, as you were coming to Krishna, you, you commented, I thought, that's good. But people don't always have that reaction. They have different reactions. So, how is that? Why is that? Well, there are many reasons. Um, which is beyond the scope of our discussion here. But if we do come into contact with Krishna consciousness, we are very fortunate. And if we take it, then we are even more fortunate. So we are offering, here is Krishna consciousness, please take. It is for your own benefit. It is so that you can become eternally happy. Would you like to be eternally happy? No more, no more death. No more struggling with this body. We've been hearing recently about the miseries of the material world. Birth, death, old age, and disease. Uh, but everyone in the material world is miserable. 
No question about that. Some don't even know. When I first became a devotee, I didn't even know I was miserable. After I began chanting Hare Krishna, I figured out, wait a minute, I'm like really suffering here in the material world. I wonder how come I didn't know that before. Everything was just normal. Because we accept that suffering as a normal condition. Just the way it is. <laughs> Deal with it. But Krishna consciousness is the solution. You have a question? Yeah, um, in your talk you said that Krishna resides in your heart. And you also stated that we are like branchings off of Krishna. Part and parcel. And in Baba Muktananda said that God resides within you as you. So Yes, that's called impersonalism or speculation. Okay, so where, where do you Bhagavad Gita does not say that. Where, where, Krishna doesn't say that in Bhagavad Gita. We are we are only speaking what Krishna says. There may be this Baba and this Swami and that scholar, and they are mostly are impersonalists because they don't know the science of Krishna. We are only presenting without any speculation, without any change, without any interpretation, without any motivation, exactly what Krishna presents in the Bhagavad Gita. If you want to bring a different philosophy, you're coming to the wrong place. Because, because we only present what Krishna teaches. I didn't finish the question. Can I finish it? Yeah, but you, okay. you revealed yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the question is, slight nuances of words, but in what way would you say that Krishna consciousness draws the line with the Advaita non-duality of Hinduism? Well, that's a little bit beyond the scope of our discussion here. But suffice it to say that Bhagavad Gita teaches that God is a person and that we are his servants. He is the master God and we are the tiny living entities, the servants. We are not God because we are an illusion. So how is it God has become an illusion and then he can get rid of that illusion and once again become God? That is the impersonalist teaching. It is a uh, very offensive, actually, philosophy to God because you say, oh, you're God? I'm God too. I'm God, you're God, we're all God. Nice to meet you, God. Yeah, you're just like me. No, we are not God. We are tiny little parts and parcels. Our intellects are so puny that we can't even comprehend the vastness of the Vedic philosophy, which God presents. But we can understand a little bit. And on this point, there is no doubt. But like I say, this is a discussion that's beyond the scope of our present time, which is now coming to an end. But just remember this, God is the supreme person, and we are tiny persons, we are his servants. That is the relationship. At no, at no point can you become God. No living entity, although many claim to be, are actually God. And Prabhupada said, as soon as you claim to be God, then you are dog. That's what we learn from Bhagavad Gita. And Bhagavad Gita thoroughly dismantles this impersonalist philosophy to which you referred, by the way. Krishna actually said, he uses the word abudhaya. Those who take shelter of the impersonalist philosophy, abudhaya, they're not very intelligent. That's what he teaches. 
So you can take shelter of an unintelligent and personal philosophy, or you can surrender to Krishna, which is the real philosophy that Krishna himself teaches without interpretation or speculation. Okay, so we'll stop here. Thank you all very much.